Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. And behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat death Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for the privilege we have to look at your word. And as we listen now to the words of this great preacher from the past, I pray you would speak once again. Fill me with your spirit. Use it for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I introduce to you Naboth. Naboth was a devout Israelite who lived in the town of Jezreel. Naboth was a good man. He abhorred that which is evil and he clave to that which is good. And this good man who loved God, his family, and his nation had a little vineyard, a little vineyard close by the summer palace of Ahab the king. This little vineyard had come to Naboth as a cherished inheritance from his forefathers, and all of it was dear to his heart. I introduce to you Ahab, Ahab the vile human toad who squatted upon the throne of his nation, the very worst of Israel's kings. King Ahab had command of a nation's wealth and a nation's army, but he had no command of his own lusts and appetites. Ahab wore rich robes, but he had a sinning and wicked and troubled heart beneath them. Ahab was a king with a throne and a crown and a scepter, yet he lived nearly all of his life under the thumb of a wicked woman, a tool in her hands. Ahab was a mean and selfish rascal who was the curse of his country. And the Bible introduces him to us in words even more appropriate than these when it says in 1 Kings 21, verse 25, There was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. He did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him, Ahab. I introduce to you Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of Tyre, and wife of Ahab, the king of Israel, a king's daughter and a king's wife, the evil genius of her dynasty and of her country. Infinitely more daring, reckless was she in her wickedness than was even her wicked husband. Masterful. Indomitable, implacable, a devout worshiper of Baal. She hated anyone and everyone who spoke against or refused to worship her pagan god. Most of that which is bad in evil women found, found expression through this painted viper of Israel. This idolatrous daughter of an idolatrous king of an idolatrous people became the evil genius who wrought wreck, brought blight, and devised death. She was the beautiful and malicious adder coiled upon the throne of the nation. Jezebel. I introduce to you Elijah, the Tishbite, the prophet of God at a time when by tens of thousands the people had forsaken God's covenants, thrown down God's altars, slain God's prophets with the sword. This prophet, knowing much of the glorious past of the now apostate nation, must have been filled with horror when he learned of the rank heathenism and Fierce cruelties and reeking licentiousness of Ahab's idolatrous capital. 
Elijah wore the roughest kind of clothes, but he had underneath these clothes a righteous and a courageous heart. He ate bird's food and widow's fare, but he was a great physical and spiritual athlete. Everywhere courage is admired and manhood is honored and and, uh, service is appreciated, he is honored as one of Earth's greatest heroes and one of heaven's greatest saints. He was a seer who saw clearly. He was a great heart who felt deeply. He was a hero who dared valiantly. So now, with the introduction of these four characters, Naboth, the devout Jezreelite, Ahab, the vile human toad who squatted befoulingly on the throne of his nation, Jezebel, the beautiful adder beside the toad, and Elijah, the prophet of the living God, I bring you the tragedy of payday someday. And the first scene in the tragedy of payday someday is the real estate request. The real estate request, verse number 1, 1 Kings chapter 21, verse number 1, it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Now thus far Ahab was completely within his rights, was he not? No intention had he of cheating Naboth out of his vineyard or of killing him to get it. Honestly did he offer him its worth in money. Honestly did he offer him a better vineyard for it. Perfectly fair and square was Ahab in his request. And under circumstances ordinary, one would have expected Naboth to put away mere sentimental attachment to his land. One would have expected that he would have put away all of that in order that he might please the king of his nation, especially when the king's aim was not to defraud or rob him. Ahab had not, however, counted upon the reluctance of Jews to part with their land, their inheritance of land. By peculiar tenure, every Israelite held his land, and to all land-holding transactions there was another party, God, who made the heavens and the earth. Throughout Judah and Israel, Jehovah was the real owner of the soil. And every tribe received its territory and every family its inheritance by lot from him, with the added condition that the land not be sold or given away forever. Leviticus chapter 25, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. So shall not the inheritance of the children of Israel remove from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep himself to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. But every one of the tribes of the children of Israel shall keep himself to his own inheritance. Ahab forgot, if he ever knew it in the first place, that for Naboth to sell for money or to swap for a better vineyard, his little vineyard would seem to that good man like a denial of his allegiance to God. So though he was Ahab's nearest neighbor, Naboth, with religious scruples, blended with the pride of ancestry, stood firmly on his rights. And with an expression of horror on his face and with tones of terror in his words, he refused to sell or even swap his vineyard to the king, feeling he must prefer the duty he owed to God to any danger that might arise from man. He made refusal. Verse number three, the Lord forbid me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And that brings us to the next scene in this tragedy, which is the pouting potentate. 
the pouting potentate, verse number four, Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. What a ridiculous picture that is. A king acting like a spoiled and sullen child, impotent in disappointment and ugly in petty rage. A king whose victories over the Syrians have rung through many lands. A conqueror, but a slave to himself, whining like a sick hound. A king, rejecting all converse with others, pouting like a spoiled and petulant child who has been denied one trinket in the midst of 1,000 playthings. Ahab went into his ivory house. While the sun was shining and the matters of the daytime were all astir, and he went to bed, and he turned his face to the wall. Servants brought him his meal, plenteously prepared, on platters beautiful, but he would eat no bread. What an ancient picture of great powers dedicated to mean, ugly, petty things. Think of it. A monarch moaning and blubbering and growlingly refusing to eat because a man, a good man, because of the commandments of God and because of religious principles, would not sell or swap a little vineyard which was his by inheritance from his forefathers. Ahab had lost nothing. Ahab had gained nothing. No one had injured him. No one had made an attempt on his life. Yet he, a king with a great army and a fat treasury, was blubbering like a baby. That brings us to the third scene in this tragedy of payday someday, and that is the wicked wife. The wicked wife. When Ahab would eat no bread, the servants went and told Jezebel. Now what she told them, we do not know. Something of what she said to Ahab, we do know. Puzzled and provoked at the news that her husband would not eat, that he had gone to bed when it was not bedtime, Jezebel went to investigate. And she found him. She found him in bed with his face turned to the wall, having, up to the moment when she stood by his bedside, refused to eat and cheer up in the least. Looking at him then, she, doubtless, as is the custom of women even to this day, reached out and felt his forehead to see if he had a fever. And then in a voice of sweet solicitation, she sought the reason of his anger. She asked, if we were to put it in the semi-slang language of our day, what's the matter with you, baby? (laughs) But in the words of the Bible, why is thy spirit so sad? that thou eatest no bread, verse number 5. And then with his mouth full of grouches and his heart stubborn in rebellion against the commandment of God, he told her, is every word full of mopish petulance. Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Verse number 6. Are you not the king of this country? She chides bitingly, her tongue sharp as a butcher's blade. Can you not command and have it done? She scolds as a common village hag who has more noise than wisdom in her words. I thought you told me you were the king in these parts. And here you are crying like a little baby and will not eat anything because you do not have courage to take a bit of land. You, ha! You, the king of Israel, Allow yourself to be disobeyed and defied by a common clodhopper from the country. You are more courteous and considerate of him than you are of your queen. Shame on you. But leave it to me. Leave it to me. I will get the vineyard for you and all that I require 
is that you ask no questions. Leave it to me. Verse number 7, Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Ahab knew Jezebel well enough to know she would do her best or her worst to keep her wicked promise. And so that brings us to the next terrible scene in this tragedy. That is a message meaning murder. A message meaning murder. You see, Jezebel wrote letters. She wrote letters to the elders of Jezreel. And in these letters, she made definite and subtle declaration that some terrible sin had been committed in their city for which it was needful that a fast be proclaimed in order to avert the wrath of heaven. Verse number 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast. Set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. This letter with cynical disregard of decency was a hideous mockery in the name of religion. Surely black ink never wrote a fouler plot or death scheme on white paper since writing was known among men. Every drop had in it the adder's poison. Every syllable of every word of every line of every sentence was full of hate toward him who had done only good. Every letter of every syllable was but the thread which, united with other threads, made the hangman's noose for him who had not changed his righteous principles for the whim of a king. The whole letter was a diabolical death warrant. When Jezebel had finished with her iniquitous pen, verse number 8, she sealed the letters with Ahab's ring. Now, when Ahab gave that to her, he knew it meant crime of some sort, but he asked no questions. Jezebel said to herself, this man Naboth has refused my honorable Lord on religious grounds, and by all the gods of Baal, I will get him yet on these very same grounds. She understood perfectly the passion of a devout Jew for a public fast, and she knew nothing would keep the Jews away. Every Jew and every member of his household would be there. Proclaim a fast. Fasting has ever been a sign of humiliation before God, of humbling oneself in the dust before the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. The idea in calling for a fast was clearly to declare that the community was under the anger of God on account of a grave crime committed by one of its members, which crime is to be exposed and punished. Set Naboth on high. On high meant before the bar of justice, not in some seat of honor. On high meant in the seat of the accused, not in the seat to be desired. On high meant that Naboth was put where every eye could watch him closely and keenly observe his bearing under the accusation and set two men, base fellows, before him. How illegal was she in bringing about his death in a legal way? For the law required two witnesses in all cases where the punishment was death. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he be put to death. The witnesses required by Jezebel were men of no character. Men who would take bribes and swear to any lie for gain. And let them bear witness against him. In other words, put him out of the way by judicial murder, not by private assassination. And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And so one day, while Naboth worked in his vineyard, the letters came down to Jezreel. 
And one evening, while Naboth talked at the cottage cottage door with his sons or neighbors, the message meaning murder was known to the elders of the city. And that night, while he slept with the wife of his bosom, the hounds of death let loose from the kennels of hell by the jewel-adorned fingers of a king's daughter and a king's wife were close on his heels. The message meaning murder was known to many, but not to him. Until they came and told him that a fast had been proclaimed, proclaimed because God had been offended at some crime and that his wrath must be appeased and the threatening anger turned away. And he himself, all unconscious of any offense toward God or the king, was to be set in the place of the accused, even on high among the people, to be tried as a conspicuous criminal. They proclaimed a fast. The rulers of Jezreel carried out her instructions to the letter. They were ready and efficient tools in her hands. Verse number 13, there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat down before him. Satan's hawks, ready to bring death to God's harmless sparrow. Satan's eagles, ready to bury their cruel talons in God's innocent dove. Satan's bloody wolves, ready to kill God's lamb. Satan's boars, ready with keen tusks to rip God's stag to shreds. Reckless and depraved professional perjurers they were. Verse 13, the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. And then strong hands jerked Naboth out of the seat of the accused. They dragged him out from among the throngs of people while children screamed and cried and while women shrieked in terror, while men moved in confusion and murmured in consternation. They dragged him roughly to a place outside the walls of the city, And with stones, they beat his body to the ground. Naboth is dead. Dead for cursing God and the king, as many were led to believe. And we learn from 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 26 that by the savage law of those days, his innocent sons were involved in his overthrow. They, too, that they might not claim the inheritance, were slain. And Naboth's property, left without heirs, reverted to the crown. Then they sent to Jezebel, verse 14, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. Now, I don't know where Jezebel was when she received the words of Naboth's death. Maybe she was out on the lawn watching the fountain splash, or maybe she was in the sun parlor or somewhere listening to the musicians thrum on their instruments. But if I judge this painted human viper by her nature... I say she received the tragic news with devilish delight and with jubilant merriment. What was it to her that yonder over 20 miles away sat a little woman who the night before had her husband, but who now washed his crushed and ghastly face with her tears? What did it matter to her that in Jezreel only yesterday her sons ran to her at her call, but today they were mangled to death? What did it matter to her that outside the city walls the dogs licked the blood of a godly husband? What mattered it to her that Jehovah God has been defied, his commandments broken, his altars splattered with pagan mud, his holy name profaned? What mattered it to her that the worship of God had been dishonored? What did she care if a wife, tragically widowed by murder, walked life's way in loneliness? What did she care that there was lamentation and grief and great mourning? What did she care if justice had been outraged just So she had gotten a little plot of land close by their palace. What did she care? Nothing. She hurried to where Ahab sat. With profuse caresses and words glib with joy, she told him the good news. In her words and manner, there was jubilant elation bordering on the satanic. 
I told thee I would get his vineyard for thee. And I got for nothing what thou wast going to pay or give a better vineyard for. Verse 15, it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And so we come to another scene, and that is the visit to the vineyard. Verse 16, it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Ahab rose up to go down from Samaria to Jezreel. He gave orders to his royal wardrobe keeper to get out his king's clothes. He had a little business trip to go on to take possession of some land, to look over some property that had come to him by the shrewdness of his wife in the real estate market. And he gave orders to those in charge of the stables to get ready his royal chariot for an unexpected trip. Jehu and Bidkar, the royal charioteers, made ready the great horses such as kings had in those days. The gilded chariot is drawn forth. The fiery horses are harnessed into the king's chariot hitched. The outriders in gorgeous garments dressed saddle their horses and make ready to accompany the king in something of military state. And then amid the clatter of prancing hooves and the loud breathing of chariot horses, eager eyes and alert, strong muscled bellows, lungs, stout-hearted and agile of feet, Jehu drives those horses in the chariot up to the palace steps, out from the palace doors, with Jezebel walking, almost strutting proudly, and gaily at his side comes Ahab. Down the steps he goes, while Jezebel perhaps waves a bejeweled hand to him or speaks a sweet goodbye. Bidkar opens the chariot door. Ahab steps in, and then with the crack of his whip or a sharp command by word of mouth, Jehu sends the great horses on their Away from the palace steps, away from the palace grounds, away through the gates, away, accompanied by the outriders, away down the road to Jezreel. Where is God? Where is God? Is he blind? That he cannot see? Is he deaf that he cannot hear? Is he dumb that he cannot speak? Is he paralyzed that he cannot move? Where is God? Well, wait a minute, and we will see. Over there in the palace, Jezebel said to Ahab, her husband, Arise, get thee down and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth. And over in the wilderness way, out where the tall cedars waved against the moon like green plumes against the silver shield, out where the only music of the night was the weird call of whippoorwill and the cough of coyote and the howl of wolf. Out there, God had an eagle-eyed, hairy, stout-hearted prophet, a great physical and spiritual athlete, Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And God said to Elijah, Arise, go down. Over here in the palace, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, get thee down. And out there near Carmel, God said to Elijah, Arise. I am so glad that I live in a universe where when the devil has his Ahab to whom he can say, Arise, God has his Elijah to whom he can say, Arise. Verse 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? 
And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And that brings us to the next scene, which is the alarming appearance. The alarming appearance. The journey of 20-odd miles from Samaria to Jezreel is over. Jehu brings the horses to a stop outside the gates of the vineyard. The horses stretch their necks, trying to get slack on the reins. They have stood well, the furious pace at which they've been driven. Around the rim of their harness is the foam of their sweat. On their flanks are perhaps the marks of Jehu's whip. They breathe as though their great lungs were a tireless bellows. The outriders line up in something of military formation. The hands of ready servants open the gate to the vineyard. Bidkar opens the chariot door, and Ahab steps out into Naboth's vineyard. There, no doubt, he sees in the soft soil Naboth's footprints. Close by, doubtless, the smaller footprints of his wife he sees. Perhaps Ahab, as he walks into the vineyard, sees Naboth's pruning hook among the vines, or he notices the fine trellis work which Naboth's hands had fastened together for the growing vines. Perhaps in a corner of the vineyard is a little seat where Naboth and his sons rested after the day's toil, or, or maybe there's a well where sparkling waters refreshed thirsty or furnished water for the vines in times of drought. Ahab walks around his newly gotten vineyard. And as he goes walking through the rows of vines, he begins to plot and to plan how he will have that vineyard arranged by his royal gardener, how flowers will be here and vegetables yonder and herbs there. But as he converses thus with himself, suddenly a shadow falls across his path. And quick as a flash, Ahab whirls on his heels, and there before him stands Elijah, prophet of the living God. His only weapon is a staff, his only robe a sheepskin, and a leather girdle about his joints, a little about his loins, like, a, like an apparition from the other world. Elijah, with suddenness terrifying, stands before Ahab. Ahab had not seen Elijah for five years. Ahab thought Elijah had been cowed and silenced by Jezebel, but now the prophet confronts him with his death warrant from the Lord God Almighty. To Ahab there is an eternity of agony in the few moments they stand thus face to face, eye to eye, soul to soul. His voice is hoarse like the cry of a hunted animal. He trembles like a hunted stag before the mouths of fierce hounds. Suddenly his face goes white and his lips quiver. He had gone to take possession of a vineyard coveted for a garden of herbs. And there he is face to face with righteousness, face to face with honor, face to face with judgment. That vineyard with the sun shining upon it now is as black as if it were part of the midnight which was gathered in judgment. Like Poe's raven, his soul from out that shadow shall be lifted nevermore. Verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And Elijah, without a tremor in his voice, his eyes burning their way into Ahab's guilty soul, answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. And then with every word of thunderbolt and every sentence of withering denunciation, Elijah continued, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. 
And then plying other words mercifully like a terrible scourge to the cringing Ahab, Elijah said, And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. And with these words, making Ahab to cower as one cowers and recoils, recoils from a hissing adder, Elijah went on his way. Ahab had sold himself for naught, as did Achan for a burial robe and a useless ingot, as did Judas for 30 pieces of silver, which so burned his palms and so burned his conscience and so burned his soul that he found relief in the noose at the rope's end. And when Ahab got back in the chariot to go back to Jezreel, the vile toad who squatted upon the throne to be again with the beautiful adder coiled upon the throne, the hoofs of the horses pounding the road, pounded into his guilty soul Elijah's words. Someday, someday, the dogs will lick thy blood. Someday, the dogs will eat Jezebel by the ramparts of Jezreel. God had spoken. Would it come to pass? And that brings us to the final scene in the tragedy of payday someday, and that is the scene of payday itself. Did God mean what he said? Or was he playing a prank on royalty? Did payday come? Payday someday is written in the constitution of God's universe. The retributive providence of God is a reality as certainly as the laws of gravitation are a reality. And to Ahab and Jezebel, payday came as certainly as night follows day because sin carries in itself the seed of its own fatal penalty. Dr. Meyer says, according to God's constitution of the world, the wrongdoer will be abundantly punished. To the individual who goes not the direction God points, a terrible payday comes. To the nation which forgets God, payday will come in the awful realization of the truth that the nations which forget God shall be turned into hell. When nations trample on the principles of the Almighty, the result is that the world is beaten with many stripes. We have seen nations slide into Gehenna, and the smoke of their torment has gone up before our eyes day and night. To the home that has no room for Christ, death and grave clothes are certain. Ichabod will be written about the church that soft pedals on unpleasant truth or that stands not unwaveringly for the faith once delivered. The certainty of payday someday for all who regard not God or man is set forth in the words of an unknown poet who said you'll pay. The knowledge of your acts will weigh heavier on your mind each day. The more you climb, the more you gain, the more you'll feel the nagging strain. Success will cower at the threat of retribution. Fear will fret your peace and bleed you for the debt. Conscience collects from every crook more than the worth of what he took. You only thought you got away. But in the night, you'll pay and pay. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, Crime and punishment grow out of one stem. Punishment is a fruit that unsuspected ripens within the flower of the pleasure that concealed it. Cause and effect, means and end, seed and fruit cannot be severed, for the effect already blooms in the cause. The end pre-exists in the means, the fruit in the seed. Paul Lawrence Dunbar wrote the autobiography of many individual sinners in these poetic and potent words. This is the price I pay, just for one riotous day, years of regret and of grief and sorrow without relief. Suffer it, I will, my friend. Suffer it until the end, until the grave shall give relief. Small was the thing I bought. Small was the thing at best. Small was the debt, I thought. But, oh God, the interest. 
And all these statements are but verifications of Bible truth. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone it will return upon him. Proverbs chapter 26. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning of the way of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Proverbs chapter 1. Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Job 4, 8. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Hosea 8, 7. Oh, I wish I could tell all men and women and all boys and girls everywhere to believe the truth that Satan always pays in counterfeit money. That all his pearls are paste pearls. That the nectar he offers is poisoned through and through. Oh, that men would learn the truth and be warned by the truth that if they eat the devil's corn, he will choke them with the cob. But what about Ahab? What about Ahab? Did payday come for him? Oh, yes. Consider how. Three years went by. Ahab was still king. And I dare say that during those three years, Jezebel had reminded him that they were eating herbs out of Naboth's garden. I can hear her say something like this as they sat at the king's table. Ahab, help yourself to these herbs. I thought Elijah said, the dogs were going to lick your blood. I guess his dogs lost their nose and lost the trail. But I think during those three years, Ahab never heard a dog bark that he didn't jump. One day, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, visited Ahab. The Bible tells us what took place, what was said. First Kings chapter 22, the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people is thy people, my horses is thy horses. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, after Jehoshaphat had promised to go with him, in his heart was afraid. He had sad forebodings and dreadful premonitions and terrible fears. Remembering the withering words of Elijah three years before, he disguised himself. He put armor on his body and covered his armor with ordinary citizens' clothes. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. The Syrian general had given orders to slay only the king of Israel, only Ahab. But the king of Syria commanded his thirty and two captains that had rule over his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was not injured, even though he wore his royal clothes. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots perceived that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. And then while war steeds neighed and war chariots rumbled and shields clashed on shields and arrows whizzed and spears were thrown and swords were wielded, a single death-carrying Arrow, shot by an aimless and nameless archer. An arrow shot into the air at random, found the crack in Ahab's armor. A certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day. And the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at evening. And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot, 
And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord which he spoke. And thus we learn no man can evade God's laws with impunity. What about Jezebel? Did her payday come? Yes. In her case, after 20 years. After Ahab's death, after the dogs had licked his blood, she virtually ruled the kingdom. But I think she too went into the temple of Baal on occasion and prayed her god Baal to protect her from Elijah's hounds. Elijah had been taken home to heaven. Without the touch of the death dew upon his brow, Elisha the prophet had succeeded him. And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. And when thou comest there, thither, look out there Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat the son of Nimshi and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber. Then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus saith the Lord, I have anointed thee king over Israel. Jehu. Jehu was just the man for such an occasion, furious in his anger, rapid in his movements, unscrupulous yet zealous to uphold the law of Moses. And when Jehu, now king, was come to Israel, or to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. Now let's pause here for a moment and make sure we remember who we're talking about. Who is Jehu? Jehu is the one who 20 years before the events of this chapter from which we quote, rode down with Ahab to take Naboth's vineyard. The one who throughout those 20 years never forgot those withering words of terrible denunciation which Elijah spoke. And who is Jezebel? Well, she's the very same one who wrote the letters and had Naboth put to death. And what is Jezreel? Jezreel is the very place where Naboth had his vineyard and where Naboth died, his life pounded out by stones in the hands of ruffians. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And just here I think of another poem. I think of what the poet's Leslie Savage Clark wrote. From the palace casement she looked down, queenly, scornful, proud, and watched with cold, indifferent eyes the weary, ragged crowd. Of the wage of sin she never thought, nor that a crown might fall, nor did she note the hungry dogs skulking along the wall. And as Jehu, the new king, by the will and word of the Lord, entered into the gate, she asked, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? And Jehu lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, Throw her down. And then these men put their strong men's fingers into her soft feminine flesh and picked her up, tired head and all, painted face and all, bejeweled fingers and all, silken skirts and all, and threw her down. Her body hit the street and burst open. Some of her blood splattered on the legs of Jehu's horses, dishonoring them. Some of her blood splattered on the walls of the city, disgracing them. And Jehu drove his horses and chariot over her. There she lies twisting in death agony in the street. Her body is crushed by the chariot wheels. On her white bosom are the black crescent shapes of horses' hooves. She is hissing like an adder in the fire. And Jehu drove away and left her there. And then later, when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her. But they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. See, God Almighty saw to it that the hungry dogs despised the brains that conceived the plot 
that took Naboth's life. And God Almighty saw to it that the mangy, lean dogs of the back alleys despised the hands that wrote the plot that took Naboth's life. And God Almighty saw to it that the lousy dogs which ate carrion despised the feet that walked in Baal's courts and then in Naboth's vineyard. And thus perished a female demon, the most infamous queen who ever wore a royal diadem. Heyday. Someday. Heyday. Someday. God said it, and it was done. And from this we learn the power and certainty of God in carrying out his own retributive providence, that men might know that his justice slumbereth not. Even though the mill of God grinds slowly, it grinds to powder. And even though the judgments of God often have leaden heels and travel slowly, they always have iron hands and crush completely. And when I see Ahab fall in his chariot, and when I see the dogs eating Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel, I say, as the Scripture saith, Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. And as I remember that the gains of ungodliness are weighted with the curse of God, I ask you, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? And the only way I know for any man or woman on earth to escape the sinner's payday on earth and the sinner's hell beyond, making sure of the Christian's payday on earth and the Christian's heaven beyond, is through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who took the sinner's place upon the cross, becoming for all sinners all that God must judge, that sinners through faith in Christ Jesus might become all that God cannot judge. Payday. Someday. 